Before we have the scripture reading, I uh, have one more personal thing that I want to share with you. Uh, this is statistics. I uh, we went over and had dinner at the Wu family, and Ben had assigned Sammy uh, an assignment. And that was, for 18 years I've been here, and he figured I'd preach 1,620 sermons. He had that written on the blackboard there, right? And he figured it was probably about uh, 30 minutes a sermon, which I think was actually generous, but maybe he meant it just seemed like 30 minutes. But anyway, so he said that was 810 hours, 34 straight days. We just preached day and night. And it was over 8 million words. 8 million words. So you think I should have said it by now, right? If I'm going to say it, I should have said it by now. Let's look to what God's Word, because that's what we need to do this morning. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. The people of God are about to enter the promised land, and Moses says to them, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us? that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live so that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And now, our text this morning will be Acts chapter 20, verse 32. I want to read from verse 17 through 38. This is the Apostle Paul is on his missionary journeys. He's headed toward Jerusalem. And it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I see, now I go bound in the Spirit, to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, 
so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after My departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you know, you yourselves know that, I, that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus that He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when He had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father, once again we come to you and we need your Spirit. It's easy for us to hear your Word. It is hard for us to understand it, and to take it to heart, and to obey it. Help us to be doers of Your Word, and not hearers only. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved people of God, of all the sermons I've ever had to preach, this is probably one of the hardest I can say there have been hard sermons as well over the years, but, but this is different. You know, when I came here 18 years ago, I had no idea what was ahead for all of us. It's been a very humbling experience to have uh, you sit under the preaching of the Word for so long. One of my professors in seminary told us that when you get your first call, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, and so it's going to be good for you to get a second call so you'll have a little experience under your belt, right? Uh, I have to say I've made a lot, I made a lot of mistakes in my first call. That lasted about four years. And then at my second call, which also lasted four years, I also made a lot of mistakes as well. So God in His mercy called me here, where I continued to make lots of mistakes. I guess I'm a slow learner. Someone said recently to me that being here for 18 years says a lot about my ministry. And I told him, well, really what being here for 18 years says a lot about is this congregation. You received me and my family. You cared for us. You loved us in so many ways, in spite of my failings. And I do thank God for all of you. I told many of you that years ago, after we'd come here, we were having a, a Sunday dinner with the family, and the children asked, when are we moving? And I was kind of taken back by the question. I said, well, why do you think we are moving? And they said, 
Well, we spent four years in Massachusetts. We spent four years in Alaska. We've been here for four years. So when are we moving? And I remember saying, and, I think, and I'm sure I did with a smile, I don't think we are. I don't think we are. So again, I, I thank you for letting me be your pastor for all these years, through thick and thin, through good times and hard times. You know, I wouldn't change anything. And you may not believe it, but I, I actually chose this passage, this verse in Acts 20, verse 32, to preach on this almost eight years ago. Almost exactly eight years ago when I was preaching through the book of Acts back in 2013. And I remember reading that verse and thinking, well, that would be a great text for a farewell sermon. And I wasn't thinking about retirement at that time. Uh, but I, I knew one day that would probably come, Lord willing, if I didn't die beforehand. And uh, fortunately, I didn't die, but fortunately, I still remembered that this was the verse that I wanted to, to preach on. And I wanted to use this to bring my ministry among you to an end. So, so how do you say goodbye to those, to those whom God has been pleased to have you serve for so many years, to those who have been sharing the yoke with you, for those who have worked so hard to keep the doors of this church open, to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached in its fullness and in its sufficiency for doing that for so long. How do you do that? Well, this was my attempt. And it begins with this theme that the Apostle Paul confidently commends the church this is a church that he had loved and spent so much time with. He confidently commends them to God and to the word of his grace. And I have two points for you. Paul commends the church to God in the first part of verse 32. And the reason he does so is because of the last part of verse 32, because Christ builds his church. So since we're jumping into the middle of this chapter, and I can't rely upon your memories from eight years ago, or, or mine for that matter. I, I kind of need a little set, a little context here. The Apostle Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. He, he's longing actually to go the other way. He's longing to go to Rome. But he has to go to Jerusalem first for the Feast of Pentecost. And he doesn't know what exactly li lies ahead of him. He, that's what he says here in verse 22 and 23. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit of, of, to Jerusalem, not knowing the things which will happen to me there, except... This is what he does know. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Little does Paul know at this point that it will actually be over two years before he's able to head to Rome. And when he does, he will be a prisoner of Rome. And he must go to Caesar to present his case. But Paul does know that he needs to see the elders from the church in Ephesus. This is a church where he spent a lot of his time, probably more than any other place. Uh, in, in Acts 19, we're told that Paul came to Ephesus. He preached there boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. And that was just the start of his work there. When, when some of the, particularly the Jews, were hardened by the message of the gospel, Paul didn't leave Ephesus. He just withdrew the disciples and he continued to teach them the things of God and the things of Christ and a glorious salvation that's found only in Him. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so when Paul returns from his missionary journey, he was in Macedonia and Achaia. He, he's now on his way to Jerusalem. He, he knows he needs to talk to these elders. And so he sends for them from Miletus. It's on the coast of the Asia Minor. 
He doesn't have a lot of time to get to Jerusalem before the feast, but this, this meeting with the elders is important. Now, now let me be clear. As, as I read all of that there in uh, Acts 20, I'm not in any way comparing my ministry to the Apostle Paul's in this passage. But this I do have. I, I do have Paul's confidence. I do have his confidence. When the elders came, Paul gives a defense of his ministry among them. How he kept nothing back that was helpful. How he proclaimed it to them and taught it publicly and from house to house. And who did he preach to? He preached to everyone. He preached to the Jews and the Greeks alike. He preached the Gospel as we're supposed to do, as the Canons of Dort puts it, promiscuously. To any and to all. He was like a sower of seed, broadcasting the Word of God on the field of this world. And what was the message that he preached? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul had been committed to that message since the day that he was brought to his knees in repentance by the Lord Jesus Himself. And his joy is to finish the race that Christ has set before him, not even counting his own life dear to himself. Because he had one purpose, to testify to the Gospel of the grace of God. And he said he had not shunned to declare to the church in Ephesus the whole counsel of God. He didn't pick his soapboxes. He preached God's Word in its entirety. But Paul goes on to warn the elders. There, there are many dangers in this world for the church from without and from within. And so they must take heed to themselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit had made them overseers to shepherd the church of God which He had purchased with His own blood. Why? What could possibly go wrong for those who are in Christ? What could possibly go wrong for the church that Christ had purchased with His own blood? Well, lots of things could go wrong. Because there are dangers outside the church and there are dangers from those who are inside the church. And, and if you remember, we saw some of that in our study of the book of Revelation. There, there may be unbelievers or hypocrites or apostates, but they are all dangers to the church. And he says in verses 29 and 30, For this I know, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. The Apostle Paul speaks of this very same thing to his son in the faith, to Timothy, the young pastor, the young evangelist. In uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-3, through 3, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The Apostle Peter warns of the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. And he, and he refers back to the Old Testament to begin with. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow the destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. 
So as the Apostle Paul looks at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not pointing a real rosy picture as if everything is now going to be great for the church. And again, this is much like we saw in those seven visions in the revelation of our Lord in the book of Revelation. There are many enemies in this world for the church and they would want nothing better than either to get rid of the church or to make the church a tool for their own propaganda. Because what they want to do is to stop the church from bringing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that's lost in darkness. And so, people of God, what does the apostle do? in the light of this dire warning of the danger of the church that's out there. Well, this is his confidence as well as mine. Listen to the first part of verse 32 again. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. He does know that he will not see these elders again from Ephesus again in this life. He knows he will never go to Ephesus again and preach the truth as it is in Jesus. But you see, Paul's not worried about it once he's gone. He warns them about what's coming. But you see, he knows that he himself is not indispensable. No man is. And once he's gone, once he's gone God will do what is necessary for the church through His Word. And so Paul leaves the church, as he should, in the hands of God. He commends them to God and to the Word of His grace. Let me break this down a little further. The word commend is actually used like 19 times in the New Testament, and it means to entrust or to be responsible for. It's the same word that's actually used in Acts uh, earlier in chapter 14, verse 23, and the appointment of the elders in the churches that Paul actually founded in his first missionary journey. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, So Paul and Barnabas, they don't stay with these churches, but they see the appointment of elders in, in every church. They see that that happens. And then they commit the elders to the care of God. God will rule in His church through His appointed officers. And that's what Paul is doing here with the elders in Ephesus. He's he's entrusting them and their work as elders into the care of God. Paul's not a pope. He's an apostle. He's a missionary of the Gospel. And God did use him to establish churches, but not so that he could have his own little empire. Not so he could rule over those churches. And you'll notice here that Paul is entrusting them to more than just God Himself. As important as that is, that is number one. He also entrusts them to the Word of God's grace. So in their responsibility to the flock, the elders are accountable to God and to His Word. They can't just rule on their own. They can't just make things up. They're not to be like Diotrephes, of uh, whom we read of in the epistle of Third John. And if you've read that, it's just a little, little short chapter, but John condemns this man uh, whose desire was to have preeminence in the church body. But he also condemned him for his malicious words against John. And that's not how elders are to serve. They are accountable to God and to His Word. 
And Paul knows that as the elders submit themselves to God and His Word, then they will be faithful in their callings as shepherds and guardians of the flock of Christ. And this is true for the church body as well. Because you see, if there is one thing you need, you need God first of all, but you also need His Word. You need God and the Word of His grace. Because you have no hope, none, without God and the Word of His grace. And beloved, let me just emphasize that word grace that's found there in verse 32. The Word of God to us in Christ is a gracious word. It's a word of promise. The promise of God's favor. The promise of His goodness. The promise of His love. To be upon us as we submit ourselves to Him and to His Word. And there's no better place to find grace and mercy than in the Word of God. It's, it's the Word of grace that teaching elders and ruling elders are to bring. It's a Word of grace that's to be proclaimed and taught by pastors and elders to God's people. And it's the Word of grace that's to be embraced and to be cherished by the congregation of God's people. So first to my fellow elders, remember God's gracious promise to you as you serve His people. From 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4, through Peter says this, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And here comes the imperatives. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And then here's the promise. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So Christ will recognize your service to Him among His people as you serve His people. But you must point them to Christ and His Word. This is the Word that you must bring to God's people. It's a Word of grace. It's a Word of life. It's a Word of forgiveness. Elders are called because they're mature in Christ. And maturity in Christ leads to humbleness. It leads to gentleness. It doesn't lead to pride. Maturity and pride don't go together. Paul infers this in Galatians 6.1. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It's actually also among um, the very last things that Paul says in his last letter to Timothy. 2 uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. This is the way for elders to serve the Lord by pointing them to Christ and by bringing God's people the gracious word of love and mercy and forgiveness. And beloved congregation, that's the word that you need. That, that's the word that you need to cling to in your trials and your afflictions, in your struggles and your heartaches, and especially when things are going well for you. Cling to Christ. God's Word is vitally important to you. You must read it. You must meditate upon it. You must hide it in your heart. This world that we live in, it will do everything it can to, to pull you away from the truth of God's Word. It will distract you, tempt you, lure you away from what you desperately need. 
And you need the Word of God. And it's more than a word that's to be read. It's a word that you need to hear preached. You need to be under the preaching of the Word of the man of God whom He has sent to proclaim to you this gracious, life-giving Word. I I know I've said this before. I'm going to say this again. This is my one zinger, so you better be ready here. You need to be here when the Word of God is preached. Morning and evening. How, How much have you missed by doing other things? If you knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be here, you wouldn't miss Him, would you? And He is here. At every worship service, as His Word is preached by His servant in the power of the Spirit. And this is the closest to glory that you will get this side of heaven when you gather with God's people to worship Him under the preaching of the Word. Last point. Why do we do this? Why do we need the Word? Why does Paul have such confidence in the Word? Because Christ builds His church. The Apostle Paul expresses his love. He expresses his concern for the church in Ephesus. He he not only commends them to God and to the Word of His grace, but he he tells them why he does this. There, There is a process that goes on in the church. Something that the church desperately needs. Why God and His Word is so important. Because it brings a certain result. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, and here it is, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Why can the Apostle commend confidently the elders and the church body to God and His Word of grace? Because he knows that this is what the church needs. And he knows that this is what Jesus uses to build His church. And and so the next word I want you to think about here in the text to consider deals with that gracious Word of God to us. It's actually a single word in the Greek text, but it's used for that phrase, to build you up. This word's used like eight times in the New Testament. Each time it has the idea of building Uh, It can even refer to building up something that's been ruined or destroyed. And you see, that's what God does with us, in us, by His Word and His Spirit. Because we've destroyed ourselves by our sin. We've demolished, we've ruined the the work and the image of God in us. You see now, God is working mightily in us by His Word and His Spirit to, to build us up in the faith. The Apostle Paul, in another place, refers to this building project in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Excuse me, verses 19 through 22. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We find the same idea in the little book of Jude, verses 21 and 20, verses 20 and 21. Though really it kind of flips it because it, it speaks of our responsibility in this. 
But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What does God use to build us up? What are the elders supposed to use to build up God's people? It's the Word of God, the Word of His grace. In fact, <laughs> we learned that in that really long study in Psalm 119 in the evening service years ago. Where, the, where David refers to the Word of God over and over. There's only like three verses where he doesn't. And you and I, we need the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit uses His gracious Word to help us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to revive us, to comfort us, to build us up. And so Paul's hope and his trust here, it's not in himself. It's not in the work that he's already done among God's people. His hope and his trust is not even in the elders of the church whom God has appointed. His hope is in God. And in His gracious, life-giving, life-changing Word. That's what's going to make all the difference in the church in Ephesus. That's what will make all the difference in this church. That's what will make all the difference in you and me. The Word of God. The Word of His grace. Now, people don't miss what follows here, right? The building up of our faith, the, the grounding and strengthening of our faith in the truth of God's Word, it will, it will direct us, it will assure us of certain comforting truths. And one of those truths is the holy faith that we believe in is not just for this life. If, if Christianity was just for this life, then we're all in big trouble, Right? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have open Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If there is no hope for the future, for those who are in Christ, if there is no hope beyond this life, then Paul has a different plan. And he tells us we might as well join the rest of the world in its endless pursuit of meaninglessness. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But you see, that's not the end for the Christian, is it? Paul says we have an inheritance. We have a future. We have eternal life in Christ. Let me commend you to some other words here from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through These are words I know over the years I've shared them with you time and time again in sermons. They are words that you should meditate upon uh, and the reason for that is because they bring such comfort to our soul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The choir saying that. Bless God. Why should we bless God? Who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's, that's salvation in all of its fullness. But then what? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So we're here. God's done a good work in us. We're waiting for that inheritance up there. Is there anything else we can depend upon? What does God promise to do as we wait for that which is to come, for that which is promised? It says, in describing you, 
the inheritance reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God not only has an inheritance for you, He promises that you're going to inherit it. That He will keep you. That He will protect you. That He will watch over you for good until you're with Him in glory. And that's the comfort God's people have. That's the com- that should comfort you. That should cheer your soul. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And that's why we know that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. God has promised you much in Christ. More than you can imagine. And it's going to be real. Like nothing you've ever known before. And let me make one more observation here, beloved. Paul has more to say than just we have an inheritance. He really qualifies the inheritance with these words to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word for sanctified means to make holy, to consecrate, to set apart, to purify, to cleanse. I think the point here is that everyone wants an inheritance. Right? Everyone wants to go to heaven when they die. I mean, don't they? In in the musical version of Dickens' tale, A Christmas Carol, Scrooge wakes up in hell. And he asks his old partner, Marley, where he is. And Marley says, I I think it's pretty obvious, right? And Scrooge counters with, I really thought I would end up in the other place, right? And that's what a lot of people think, don't they? They don't think they're going to end up in hell. But this inheritance is not for everyone. There's not universal salvation. You're not justified just because you die. You're only justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when you follow Christ, when you become a Christian, God begins a work in you to sanctify you. You're not going to be perfect. You're never going to reach perfection in this life. But you will not be what you were. You will not be going in the same direction. Because repentance means turning away from sin and turning to God. And when you do... As God works in you by His Word and His Spirit, you begin to make progress in sanctification. God will sanctify you by His Spirit and by His Word of truth. Uh, The Shorter Catechism explains sanctification. Question 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live under righteousness. God will sanctify you by His gracious work in you, by His Word and by His Spirit. The Apostle Paul says the same thing, except he puts it at the other end, looking at it from God's perspective. This is what we're predestined to be. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. You and I are to be made more and more like Jesus until we're with Him in glory, and then we will be like Him. And you see, that's why God has established the church. That's why Christ is building His church. To make a people for Himself. Let me read those words from Ephesians 4 where the Apostle Paul, again, explains how Christ builds His people into His church. Ephesians 4, verses 11-16, through And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ 
until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Christ gives gifted men to His church for the building up of His church. That's what's going on here every Lord's Day. Part of what we're doing here is being sanctified. In fact, we need to look at the Lord's Day, or as the Puritans put it, as the Christian Sabbath is the market day of the soul. One day in seven, we're to take care of our souls. Is that what we're doing? So, beloved, let me wrap this up by just reminding you that you cannot expect to have an inheritance in glory if you're not being sanctified, if you're not being made holy. God in, says in Leviticus and in 1 Peter, Be holy, for I am holy. The inheritance is only for those who are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And if you think you can get into heaven without following Christ, without pursuing holiness, that's not going to happen. And you've forgotten what it says in Hebrews 12.14. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That should be your desire. Set your eyes on Christ. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness first. That's your calling as God's people. So let me bring this all to an end by saying thank you. Thank you for calling me to be your pastor. Thank you for allowing me to continue as your pastor for so many years. I think I have a little understanding of what the Apostle says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. And so I thank God that I can leave here with the same confidence as the Apostle Paul that he had in our text. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. May God, by His Spirit, awaken our hearts to the truth of His Word so that we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.